Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the spring home buying season and what we should expect on rates and inventory. Big thanks to our podcast sponsor, Truve, for making this episode possible. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here in another crazy week of uh, dealing with the Fed, inflation, rates, 10-year-old mortgage, inventory. We're getting ready for spring 2024. Yeah, so let's talk about spring because we had high hopes. I had really high hopes for the season. We know that, you know, people in our, you know, much less consumers, but people in our industry, they desperately need a good, you know, selling season. And it was looking really positive there, maybe looking a little less positive. What's your take? Well, when mortgage rates started to fall from November uh, and the 10-year yield went from 5% to 3.8%, Majority of that time, purchase application data was positive up until the um, holiday weekend, which I don't even ever count. And then now as rates have started to come back higher, the growth in purchase application data has stalled out and has gone negative. So purchase apps are forward looking. So when we take the count, you know, eight positive prints, three negative prints, it's really just the last few weeks. So we always try to find that equilibrium of supply and demand and also how does demand look when rates rise. So we are having a, once again, carbon copy of last year uh, because as rates started to fall last year, demand was picking up, mortgage rates got down to 6%. So we had better purchase application data then. And then rates went up and then that kind of stalled out and rates went to 8%. And then, you know, not much was going on. Sales actually declined from that first initial peak. So we're going to get like a boost in the next existing home sales report. But in a sense, that data is going to be somewhat old because of the forward-looking data has gotten uh, negative. It's nothing like what we saw in 2022. We really can't really crash from sales here, but Mortgage rates are simply too high to get growth. And this is why I've kind of, I've always had this premise here that if you're looking for really, really strong growth, you need to like 12 to 18 months of rates between 4.75 to 5.87. And the reason I say that is that the builders have shown you that you can grow sales, uh, uh, but you need sub 6% rates in there. It's not happening. We're kind of right at, you know, 7% still today. So uh, the momentum that we saw early has now faded out. Same thing as last. We'll see where the 10-year yield and rates go. Uh, but we always have that idea of looking out 30 to 90 days. And that pretty much uh, uh, tells you the story of what's happened in the last few weeks as mortgage rates have bounced higher. That is so uh, so unfortunate. Um, we had starts. Uh, what does starts show us? So... The interesting thing with the housing construction market, so housing starts fell noticeably. I mean, there's there's always a a, a winter I- impact, especially you know with the deep freeze that we've had in certain areas. But we have a really really good alligator chart. We have single family permits going up, multi family permits collapsing down, 
by the way, the trend is going, multifamily permits for housing is actually going to go down to the COVID lows. Uh, single family permits are still holding up. Now, starts fell, single family starts fell. You know, the month to month data can be wild, especially if weather related. But the story still is that the builders can still sell homes and they could work their backlog off and uh, they're still comfortable with the single family permits data still trending uh, higher. Uh, not the same for the apartment. The apartment boom ended last year and you could see it in the multifamily uh, permits. It's just collapsing. So in that context, uh, the builders can still move their backlog and the builder's confidence index uh, uh, was up again, but mortgage rates are starting to go up again. So do we have another carbon copy of that where later on in the year, the builder's confidence starts to fall? It really depends on where rates are. We haven't hit my peak seven and a quarter rate yet. Uh, but just like last year, the, some of the dynamics for housing change when mortgage rates get above seven and a quarter to 8%. You, we saw the uh, demand data line not be as firm. 6% different story, seven and a quarter to 8% different story as well. So, you know, we're recording this on Friday. So we got the PPI inflation data today. Did I get that right? We had already had yes, the CPI earlier. I know, the CPI, PPI. It, 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 you know, this is the interesting aspect of today's trading. Everyone kind of anticipated the PPI data to be hotter than normal. Uh, there's the management fees for the stock market, actually, that goes into there. So it, it boosted that up. The 10-year yield did spike a little bit. Um, currently, I think the last time I saw it was at 429 if you actually translate that to core PCE, that's how we kind of move from PPI to PCE, which is the Fed tracker. We're going to have a 2.4% 12-month headline on PCE inflation, 2.9% core. A lot of people I saw right away, so there were stock traders going, we have to hike rates again. We have to hike rate inflation. Core P PPI inflation is actually lower now on a 12-month basis than it was a few of the years in a previous expansion when we had zero interest rate policy. So... This is the concern I had going into this year because I'm not a Fed pivot person, right? They have not pivoted. They're like, oh, oh again, Bostic came out, two rate cuts, maybe summer we start, you know, uh, daily came out. We have to be really vigilant. When they pivot, man, there is none of this talks. They are just going, we're going straight to neutral. And what happens a lot of times is that the market you know, if people are saying they need to hike rates again, the market's just like, well, where are we at right now? So we're going to go this back and forth a lot because there was no clear pivot. All that happened last year is that the growth rate of inflation fell faster than what the Fed thought and the labor market didn't break and they can't really keep hiking rates in that environment because that means you're just 100% trying to target the labor market and uh, they have to be a little bit more clever. So we're in this situation where the 10-year yield is a few basis points above my peak for 2024. And again, I do not feel comfortable in this situation. I know Waller came out and said, we might, we have to, you know, we have to rein our maybe a, a restrictive uh, tone in the future in, but boy, when you play, when you're, when you're really uh, near that 4.34, you break that level, boy, the 10 year yield could shoot up higher again. And it would be another carbon copy of 2023 again, if that occurs. So when the Fed pivots and they say, okay, we are going to neutral, we're cutting rates, we're going to get the, you know, the Fed funds rate to match three, six, 12 months, like they said in 2022, there's your pivot. There's no confusion. But now, you know, we're, we're in this back and forth game with monthly data, which 
the clear trend. I was showing these charts on Twitter and people were like, it's reaccelerating Hydra. I said, look, 12 month core PC is below what we had in the last decade. Oh my God, the finished goods product is negative. Yes, it's negative. It, it is negative 1%, you know, year over year. So that traditionally does not happen, but it is. So, and this is the back and forth that I did not want to see happen. But again, when you're not a Fed pivot person, this is what could what could occur in this environment. But I, the only positive thing I saw this week is that Waller come out and try to like talk the market down. So you could see that there are some, the, the mindset of making sure that 10-year yield doesn't break out like they did last year is still in there, but you, you you can't control mother nature, man. And you think you could control the bond market. They can roll right over you. So I, I'm a little bit uh, less confident in their ability to try to talk the markets down. It's one of the interesting things about the Fed that we've talked about before is like, here we are in an election year. Joe Biden would really like it if, you know, it wasn't if uh, interest rates weren't so high, because this is something that Main Street understands. They totally get this and they feel it. And they, you know, they put the blame on him, uh, right or wrong. But, you know, the Fed can be like, we don't care. We're, I mean, even uh, Jay Powell was very clear in that 60 Minutes interview. We don't we don't do things based on politics. We're not a political organization. We're not going to do that. And so it's not like Biden can call up and be like, guys, come on. I want a re-election, you know, uh, give the people a break. I mean, they're 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 not really. You know what? I was I was just came off a podcast and somebody in that podcast asked me about what can the government do? So you can't control the Fed funds rate, but the government can control mortgage-backed securities. Now, I don't believe the Fed is going to get into that. Like people say, why don't the, why does the Fed, I don't, that, that, listen, we're talking about a Fed that hasn't pivoted with three and six month core PCE at 1%. You think they're going to be buying mortgage-backed securities when they can't even, you know, cut rates when you know the their one of their main inflation line has a one handle the government on the other hand like they're buying back oil right they're buying back oil to restock the they control freddie and fanny they're not going to spend trillions of dollars doing this but they could start having freddie and fanny buy mortgage backed securities if you, if you wanted if you wanted me to offer a solution for this year um they can do that. Of course, you're going to get people fighting against that because they'll say that, you know, the taxpayer money, you, you have states that are doing down payment assistance, uh, uh, where they like California offers, you know, the, 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 the money down the federal government, if it wanted to, which I'm very skeptical of, they can basically have Freddie and Fannie start buying mortgage backs. So you're not to like drive a crazy low, but to make the spreads better. And I've always said this, I can't get the 10-year yield below 3.37. You know, 3.37 to 3.80 is like, okay, the labor market has to get softer or the Fed has to pivot. Either of those things will get us there. Um, but in this case, you could get the spreads lower and you could get mortgage rates half a percent to 1% lower in that. If you wanted a government solution for something in that nature, you can try that. I, I doubt there is much appetite. I know there's no appetite from the Fed. But that would be one way to, and this is, I mean, we're talking just like 6% mortgage rates. This is not like 3% or 4% or anything like that. But if you, the spreads get better, you get a little bit more activity. And we've seen this. We've seen when rates get toward uh, 6%, the builders are able to do it. So as a government, you know, you think of the United States of America, this powerful, this once in a lifetime 
historic wealthy country. Maybe Cleopatra in her prime adjusting to inflation had more wealth than the United States of America. They can pull levers if they wanted to. So this is by choice, right? This is the COVID-19 Federal Reserve housing policy to keep home sales depressed at great recession lows. And the government is not doing anything for whatever reasons they want. This is by choice here. This is not about necessity. It's not like inflation is running at six, seven percent or eight percent anymore. We have one handles, you know, on three, six month PCE. We have negative year over year finished goods PPI inflation. You know, so there it's just one of these things. I'm just not confident in the rates going down in that regards, unless one of the two actually pivots or or tries anything because the the main the main thing for me is jobless claims and jobless claims is good again, right? Again, jobless claims came out it was fine. You know, if jobless claims were running at two hundred thirty two hundred eighty thousand or three hundred twenty three, we have a whole different conversation. But it's just not there. Housing Wire is now accepting nominations for our Women of Influence Award, and I have to be the hype person here. I love this award. We started this program 15 years ago to recognize the outstanding efforts of women in driving the housing economy forward, and it just gets more competitive every year. The winners of this award are fantastic, and I can't wait to read your submissions, so send in your nominations today at housingwire.com slash women of influence. So you have definitely had, um, you just mentioned that podcast you were just on. Uh, I think you're going to be on Tom Ferry's podcast. Everybody wants to know, you know, what what's going on with prices and rates? And everyone's asking about this, these larger questions for the spring home buying season. Maybe you could uh, give us a preview of that. When we talk about pricing, the price cut percentage data is falling on a year-over-year basis. So that's okay. That That looks pretty normal. Uh, the purchase application data was growing up until rates rose. The inventory, this is the good part about 2024. Inventory is still up year over year. New listings data is up year over year. Um, we'll, we'll, that is the one positive because the more supply, the more choices, it's better. Most sellers are buyers. So we're, we're the new listings data growing like it is, 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 is a very key data line. That to me is like the most positive data line that we've seen in, in there. And that means whatever is coming onto the market in that sense, since majority sellers are buyers, they feel comfortable with rates uh, and prices and taxes and insurance, right? We, we're, we, we have to always remember taxes and insurance are part of the housing equation. You know, people just focus on rates, but there are parts of the country where insurance are going up a lot higher. There's parts of the country where taxes are going up. So you put them all together, it's just, we're kind of stuck and there's not one really clear direction either way, positive or negative, but we're stuck. And stuck means the third calendar year of Great Recession lows going into the fourth year. So you need lower rates for longer with duration. That's always been the key. If you, we go back to the previous decade, when rates fell, they fell and they were slowly falling and going down. Here, rates are much higher than what they are than the previous decade. Home sales are much lower than we had in the previous decade. And we're just having this, again, this cowboy fight that we've always talked about, you know, fighting in butts. You don't have a clear direction, but there's no breaking. And I think that frustrates a lot of people. It frustrates a lot of housing bulls who wanted more sales. It frustrates a lot of housing price crash people who want to see home prices collapse. And it's just here. And this is why when we do the weekly tracker, 
everyone gets to see it live well before the existing home sales. Like the next existing home sales before is going to be good. And but again, too old, too old, too old and slow, right? Look forward. And this way we have a better idea of how forward looking data looks. So you're, you know, you used to be a loan officer. Your family is still in the business. What, what do you tell people looking at the spring season saying, you know, give us a break. Like how can, to the government, you know, give us a break. There has to be something, you know, happen or else how many people are going to, you know, continue to struggle? You know, the, the, the only thing I could, I could say is that now that the Fed rate height cycle is over, you know, traditionally it might take a little bit longer than other, other, other people want. The move is historically lower. It's not like a reacceleration. The only way you get a re reacceleration back up to the highs is if we make another Fed mistake. Uh, uh, and they're trying to keep the bond market. The government, again, if they wanted to, they could issue mortgage backed security purchases. By Freddie, that's hasn't happened. So I think the thing is that it's it's interesting when when we talk about this. Back in two thousand eight, it was a crisis, right? You know, everyone had to. You know, it was a crisis. Well, when rates go lower and supply grows, you would think demand. Well, that was a credit boom that went credit bust. Here, you just need like lower rates, even just a six percent. Changes everything, uh, uh, and it changes it with duration. But I think it's just public policy, right? That's why I, I know it's hard for people to hear this, but it really is a COVID nineteen policy. And one of the reasons why is I, I think people forget housing was booming in the seventies. You know, labor force growth was good, home sales were booming back then. The fear of the nineteen seventies really comes from people having sex and ha having kids and buying homes. Right, because in that sense, that's inflationary. That's demand. You got to buy diapers. You got to buy a kid bed. You got to buy more stuff for the house. You know, um, heck, I just took in two stray cats. Came from the groceries. I got more cat food. I got to buy. You know, that's in a sense boosting demand. Um, so in this case, it, there's nothing unless somebody announces something. We're just going to be stuck here until the labor data gets weaker. And this is why I try to get people to focus on jobless claims because jobless claims still looks really good you know until that changes rates are going to be here and and the supply and demand equilibrium you know there there are buyers there are sellers we're going to have another year of like five million home sales that's out there but if you're looking for a much better demand curve you need lower rates for longer and the purchase application data will tell you that when it happens and it's just not the case we just we just can't get traction kind of like 2023 2023, home sales weren't crashing, home prices weren't crashing, but it's stuck. And being stuck, I get, is very frustrating. It is very frustrating. Are we stuck on inventory? Is inventory stuck in your opinion? No, inventory is growing year over year. New listings growing year over year, with even with higher rates. And that's the positive. That 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 to me so far is the positive story of 2024. Year over year inventory. Now, the week to week data is. It, it, you know, the declines that we've seen, we're, we're kind of in that January, February, where we usually see the kind of the spring bottom. I would like it to like happen very soon. And then we see the seasonal increase. Uh, but, but inventory is growing year over year. New listings data is growing. So we don't have to worry about, you know, with our data, with Altos Research, single family uh, listings, active list inventory was down to 240,000. That's not going to be the case. So that's the positive. More choices is a good thing. I'm I'm a big supply person. I am not a fan of just putting demand destruction as the, the way to defeat inflation. You've got to be able to produce, you know, some 
somebody said to me, there's more, you know, there's all, we, we have more housing productions uh, or housing units than households. That's not how it works. That's basically trying to say that, well, this data line showed we had enough homes for households 20 years ago. We should stop building. No. And that's, that's the, um, the downfall about higher rates. Construction loan rates have gone up so much that the apartment boom is over. Right. Uh, uh, you just got to hope they finish as many projects as they can. And then eventually those uh, that labor will go away. And that's the key for every every economic cycle we've ever seen. And in recent history, constru residential construction workers always lose their jobs before every recession. It has not happened here. Uh, the builders are keeping things at bay. But that apartment, mark, that apartment, all those uh, backlogs, once they are done, those people are going to lose their jobs. So the backlog is a very, very key factor into this economic cycle that I don't believe people give enough attention to. It doesn't necessarily, if permits fall, you you, you might not be hiring anymore for apartment construction, but you, as soon as that backlog is finished, you don't need it anymore because the permits are going down. That's why housing permits are such a key indicator for economic cycles. If housing leads you in and out of recession, and so far, single family permits still going up, multifamily permits, going down. You know, uh, speaking about listings. So last week I went uh, to Tulsa, my son lives there and they're actually moving back to the Austin area. They've been in Tulsa for a couple of years now. Um, and they put their house on the market on a Thursday and, um, you know, kind of, kind of midday, um, they had an, uh, more than full price offer before the end of the day. Um, they had nine people come, you know, look at it, uh, come in that day. They had, uh, four or five. Is there nine people in Tulsa? Hey, hey, <laughs> yeah. Tulsa is actually a bit. I know. Have you I ever know, been to Tulsa? I know. I know. I know you fly over country people. Yes. No, Tulsa is actually a, a great little small town. I mean, a, a small city. It's not a small town, a small city. Um, but I was like, you know, I was, I was talking to my son about the fact that, like, first of all, he, he has great real estate luck. This is his, he's like, he's 28. Uh, but this is his third house. And it's just like, what? Um, he's just had great, great luck. And obviously the timing of the market and all that. But I thought this one was going to be tough because, you know, we're not in the best season. It is Tulsa, you know, and it came in over asking and he had other people, you know, say, hey, we want to be the backup if this falls through. And I was just like, but I was telling him, I was like, I don't think your house will even count as a listing, right? It's not active listing. Oh, no, no. It's, yeah, this is, this is, this is, this is the interesting um this goes into that main question I always get. People always ask, how did we have all these home sales when, when inventory was at all-time lows? Because people said there was no homes to buy in the previous day. People were li literally did say that. And because the we close transactions faster, that if you get an offer, you you, you, you really need your house on the market for like 60 days to, to hit the active inventory because it's the shift of pending sales when you when you get an offer, you close. You know, you put that equilibrium together. This is why when rates go down, active inventory falls. You know, we close things so much faster. Like you know, we do loans at eight to eleven business days now, right? Or, or even faster than that. So you don't actually get to hang around long enough. And that's the main thing about uh, last year. If you actually look at the NAR data, there's not there's not much inventory growth. They they have a lot of pendings and and condos and everything together, but even with the biggest crash in home sales, there was there was not much. Uh, uh, and because we could close transactions faster and then the new listings data was 
still trending uh, at all-time lows last year. So it, it was a much different story. The positive story is that we're getting more new listings, not as much as I would like, but you know, last week was good. Last week, data was even higher than 2021 levels. But yeah, you when we close transaction, you don't really get to hang around long enough to uh, be part of the active listings. This is why the Altos research data lines, like when I, when I put three of the data variables into my tracker, when Mike talks about it, he has, he has listings, listings that go into contracts. And so, there's so many data lines where you can see, and we don't even count the homes that are in contract right away in the new listings data. So that's just the raw number of things that are still out there. So when demand traditionally gets weaker, you know, you could have the new listings data just grow just because those homes don't get into contract right away. And that builds up the new listings count. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's been, it's a very confusing topic because people thought there was no homes to buy. How did home sales grow? Yeah, there's buyers and sellers. It goes in, doesn't necessarily mean it stays in the active inventory data. I feel like Altos is as close as anybody could get. I mean, it's weekly. They're looking at this very granular level at, at all these different places. They're, they're calculating you know, what, it throughout. The yeah. Week. This is why we wanted that tracker right away. I was like, come on, let me put the tracker up. Let me put the tracker up. You're guys <laughs> like, no, wait, wait, no, I don't want to wait anymore. You know, cause it was November. It was November after November 9th. And we we're like talking about when we get the track. I was like, I want to get it up now. And we couldn't you guys again, Sarah Wheeler holds me in check, tells me I can't do anything. You know, and uh, uh, now we get it. So I think people understand. The people that read the tracker are like, okay, this all makes sense now, right? Because we, we don't believe in speculative theory. We believe that the data actually, we don't believe in vibes. Oh, that's another terrible thing that's coming out. Vibes, no. Data, data matters, right? Vibes is just a theory. Let the data tell you where something's going. You know, that reminds me that, you know, there were some vibes in, in different people's forecasts about what we should look for for like, you know, where mortgage rates are going, how that relates to, to inventory, things like that. And, and, you know, I've talked about, it's like, uh, some of the things that we looked at were like, where did they get that from? Like, what is the data that's backing that up? This is, this is my honest answer. If somebody is not telling you where their 10 year yield channel is, be a little bit skeptical of their mortgage rate forecast. Cause when I see mortgage rate forecasts, I think of people like, you know, trying to just throw a number out there and hope it sticks. You have to do channels because when channels are, rates don't stay in one place the entire time. They go back and forth. So I care about more about why the back and forth is happening. This is why I'm a 10-year yield guy first, mortgage rate guy second. And then a 10-year, why do I think, oh, jobless claims, inflation expectations, these things. So I, I mean, I'd be dead honest. I wouldn't listen to anybody unless they tell you where the 10-year yield is and where mortgage rates are going. Because if you if you do a one-rate variable forecast, which is crazy, I mean, rates move daily, but you want to get a kind of a trend in this way. Okay, jobless claims are rising, so this means you know the 10-year yield can be going lower. Because I think the hard thing is that at the end of 2022, the, you know, the Fed was still hiking rates, right? And mortgage rates went lower back then going into 2023 than now. And now we have lower inflation right? And the Fed done with rate hikes, but mortgage rates were lower back then. Like, how did that happen? And I would say the macro data runs everything, right? Uh, the uh, bond market, everybody thought we were going into recession. The dollar was super strong. London had problems. All these things forced money into the bond market and that ended. So it, it is confusing. Yeah. We have higher rates with no more rate hikes and Fed rate cuts and lower inflation. That's the world we live in. That's why channels matter. Right. This is why seven and a quarter peak, 
four and a quarter, 10 year, let's keep everything in play and just work with the data every single day. And then this way, boy, okay, now we could say the Fed has pivoted. Now we can, because I, I think a lot of times when you, when you say, well, mortgage rates will hit at 5% or something, and then people are going to sit there, okay, I'll wait to 5%. And it's, I, I generally don't, I personally don't believe there's a lot of people like that, but there could be some people, okay, well, they said 5%. We're just going to wait for that to happen. You well, know, yeah, because that would be a mortgage do, rate lockdown. That, that would, that would bolster no, that, the mortgage rate lockdown. That's not, that's not, a, that's not a mortgage rate lockdown. They, the, there are sellers and buyers every single week and they sell their three, 4% rate homes to buy another one. Like who's that crazy? Well, it's a total payment, you know? So if somebody goes, well, I'm going to sit here and wait until rates hit 5%. I'm just the only person looking, right? If you believe in that theory, then everyone's going to be like, I'm the only person too. I'm the only person too. I'm the only person too. And then all of a sudden mortgage rates, let's all, why are there 12 people buying for this house? You know, so, um, and that, that's why I'm such a pro supply. I'm like, I, I'm going to seriously throw a party when we get total inventory back to 2019 levels. Because I am, from the start, not comfortable with active inventory being this low. Uh, just because of too many people chasing too few homes theory. Like your son in Tulsa, got, you know? Like my son in Tulsa. Now he's, you know, going back into a very uh, competitive market. Uh, New Braunfels, I think, is where he's going. But um, interesting. I'll keep you updated. Logan, thank you so much for bringing the insight in this very confusing time. I feel like, you know, you're a voice. We, we love that you um, give us this insight so we can figure out what's going on. I know our audience loves it too. So thank you. Pleasure's all mine, Sarah. Thank you for listening and thank you to our sponsor, Truve. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment and make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.